getting in bright and early this week for episode 138. I'm very excited it is the pointy end of the week or the end closest to Parkrun because that means all the memories are still vivid and fresh and raw. I'm Mel Urbacca. My co-host is Scotty Trickett. Welcome to episode 138, Scotty. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Mel. What do you say we're getting in early? So we're... We're recording early. Yeah, I know. We're recording early. It doesn't mean that episode's going to be out early. I wasn't Let's trying not jump to. the gun. Yep. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, people will know when the episode came out when they start listening to it. Yes. Yep. It's an interesting Pearl illustration question we've asked. When would you prefer the uh, podcast? You know what the, the winning answer at the moment is? Winning answer. Is that the right word? The first finisher. <laughs> the first finisher, the most popular response so far. Here's a little preview to our so Pearl Remind Australian me again what the options were. It was like Monday, Wednesday and Friday, right? Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which is interesting because we've never released on Monday, but it was kind of like, do you really, do you, do you need it as early in the week as possible? <laughs> Wednesday is that nice soft, soft spot where like we're swift far away from it. You're just bridging the gap between two park on yeah. days. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Fridays, which is what we're doing a bit more because we, we figure we're getting you excited. You're all excited. You're going to park run or you're listening on your way to park run or we've just been really busy and, and the episodes are slipping uh, during the week. But the, the most popular response is Wednesday mill. Ah. Okay. So to, to facilitate a Wednesday release, we used to have to record on a Monday. Yep. Mm. That hasn't really been a viable option for a while now. <laughs> I hope we haven't asked for something and given people the hope that they could receive something we can't deliver, Scotty. Well, it's not going to happen. It's never going to be a Monday release. Wednesday? Hey, Wednesday, you never know. Let's aim for Wednesday this week. And if you're listening now, you know the answer to this already. But I'm, in, I'm on location, Mel. I've got a view overlooking Pitt Street and some other streets in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you know what your location is, Scotty. What are you doing in Sydney? Well, we're working. We're, we're here taking a couple of meetings, um, but also getting the opportunity to go for a few runs, which is always nice. I love Sydney. I, I could see myself living here. Okay. I, um, it's a big city. I don't mind a big city. And there's always sort of stuff happening, and it's a really pretty place. It's a pretty place to run, that's for sure. So have you got any freedom runs in yet then? Not yet, not yet, but planning it tomorrow. But we're a bit, we're a bit um, hampered by transport. And what you know, what we really need in Sydney, we need an opera house park run. I know we've recently got Centennial Park Run, but like I'm right in the middle of the city, so I want to run the opera house park run and the botanical gardens near there and all that. Yeah, sort of area. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like it makes sense. There's a path all the way around there. Yeah, there's also a lot of tourists all the way around there. They can join in. <laughs> okay. That's a good thing. So all the tourists, when you're in town, you just have to go to the Opera House Park Run. Oh, I'm sure it would be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. But it's not at the moment. Hey, but you're not in Sydney. I'm not. You're on the Sunshine Coast. Yes, I'm on location you... in my house. I really hope your Park Run day was much better than last week. Have Have you recovered from the Jeevston experience? Uh, I think I have. I think I've made my peace with it and, you know, it's not Tasmania's fault. It's not the park. Well, maybe it is the park run weather fairy's fault. It's but um, you know these things happen, and it has been pointed out to me that there are other people who've had worse experiences. They've planned uh, flights to the US and trips 
based around different locations to be somewhere on a Saturday and cyclones have come in or hurricanes as they like to call them over there and um, put paid to that idea. So yes, Team Taylor have trumped me and my Hobart experience <laughs> and it helps to put things in perspective when um, people remind you of their own Great. parkrun adventures. Yep. So it was all happy days on Saturday for you again? Well, you I went mean, to Victory Heights Trail? The thing is, do you not pay attention to our Instagram account? Um, somebody said something about something. <laughs> there may have been a tow truck picture um, loading my car onto it for, yeah, there, there was a bit of a parkrun misadventure last weekend. I'm, to be honest, I'm a little bit worried about this coming weekend because three weeks ago, I just had a regular parkrun day. Nothing went wrong. Everything was normal. Everything was fine. The last two weeks in a row, and I would venture so far as to say last week was worse than the week before. Um, I did make it to parkrun. I did get my barcode scanned. Um, however, it was all pretty touch and go there for a little while. When um, So Victory Heights Trail Parkrun, it was their launch. It's about a 50-minute drive, just under an hour drive from where we live to get there. Uh, it's in sort of a suburb of Gympie and um, about 20 kilometres out of Gympie on the highway. We were doing 110 kilometres an hour. And in the median strip, there was a kangaroo and this kangaroo was eating grass. And then... So I'm in the left lane driving. There's no other vehicles ahead of me on the road. There was one about maybe 300 metres behind me, um, also in the left lane. And I just saw this kangaroo and he was eating grass and then he stood up and then he turned around and in slow motion he decided, I'm going to get out of the medium strip and I'm going to jump across the road. So I broke <laughs> The, the, put the brakes on. I didn't slam my feet on the brake. There was no um, whiplash or anything like that happening. The poor blighter um, connected with my vehicle right in the centre of, of the car. So we hit him square on or her. I don't know. Um, and it just sort of everything like I said it was slow motion everything was really really still you, we barely felt the impact really but then it was like well where's the kangaroo and then a few seconds later it was like and it was under the car and then off to the side so um yeah it's it was a really crap day for that kangaroo mm. well that's a, that's actually a little bit sad did did the kangaroo survive Scotty I don't I I highly, I highly doubt it. Okay, so we were in 110 kilometer an hour zone. There was no, you know, how some sections of the highway they've got those like wider side areas that you can pull off on. Well, there were none of those, so there was it was no there was no safe spot to pull over and, and go back and check to see if it was a female or if it had a joey or if indeed it sort of got up and hopped off. You know, all I saw in my windscreen, my rear view was that. It was on the. It came out the side of the car after it went under, and I saw a leg flailing in the air on the side of the road. And whether or not that's what happens when they try to get up, or if I had just completely broken the poor thing, I, I don't know. What I do know is that for the next fifteen minutes, I bawled my eyes out. 
That is a bit sad. Yep. And so that was that was about six thirty that we hit it. Um, the car seemed okay. Um, there was a light on on the thing, you know, where your radiator temperature gauge is. The H that stands for hot, I assume it was red. And I said to Adam, "I'm pretty sure that's not usually red." The needle was still in the middle, so the car wasn't overheated or anything. But the the light was on. I said, "I'm pretty sure that's not normally red." Um, but from what we could see in the car, like you couldn't see any damage. The bonnet was fine. So, um, but about four, three or four kilometres from Parkrun. Um, we had slowed down because we were in Gympie and then all of a sudden the car started beeping, the temperature gauge was up and there was steam and whatever of smoke coming out from underneath the engine. So we had to pull over and the car was dead. So we got out and completely lost the bumper and all the grill was pushed in. I think the radiator's been toasted um car wasn't going anywhere um fortunately my brother and sister-in-law and their kids team sando were on their way up from brisbane to the launch as well we knew they were behind us because they'd left a bit later um and so we we gave them a call and um you know explained we'd been hit by well we had hit a roo we hadn't been hit by one um and yeah, so uh, they didn't have room in their car for all of us and certainly not for the car seat, but um, Nicholas said, uh, well, you know, get the car seat out of the car and get ready and I'll go drop um, Shell and the kids off and I'll come back and I'll get you. So we did get to Park Run in time and um, fortunately we got to go and have as normal of a Park Run event as you can after you've just sort of, <laughs> you know, made an animal deceased and um yeah hey, we don't know that man we don't know we don't know she he could have could have just had a little bruise and jumped off let's let's not dwell on that um and i think i think what are you what are you going to do next or this park run day i reckon maybe have it all i i'm down to volunteer at nambor so it's my name oh, it's my nendy it's so it's the closest possible event it's um I'm volunteering, which is different than running, which is what I've been doing the last two weeks. So maybe the curse isn't on for volunteers. I don't know. All I do know is bad things happen in threes and I am superstitious in that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm a bit worried. Um, but, hey, misadventure aside, the launch was amazing. You know, this event, 21 months in the making, just was absolutely brilliant. I had Wes um, in the carrier because it's not pre and friendly. He started out on the front, but after a first couple of kilometres, I moved him onto my back and then he fell asleep, a little bugger, um, became a dead floppy weight instead of just a wiggly other kind of weight. And, um, yeah, walked it with my sister-in-law, who was very kind enough to slow down for me with my extra 13 kilos of resistance. Um yeah, and so the event itself was great. I think everything went off without a hitch. Um, Jody should be very proud of himself. And the volunteers were amazing. Like even – do you ever find you, you go someplace and you're exp you're an experienced park runner. We all know who you are. Like the listeners of the pod know who you are. But 
you don't sort of go and showboat it when you go places. And the tail walker had no idea that I work for Parkrun or that I've been in the Parkrun world for six years. And she was like, oh, don't worry. There's no pressure. Nobody gets left behind. She was amazing. She was just exactly the right amount of supportive and not, you know, had a sense of humour about things. Like when we stopped to change him um, around from front to back, she's like, oh, look, you take as long as you like. I'd be quite happy to pull up and have a picnic if, you know, if I'd bought food, I should have bought food. And, you know, she just had a good sense of humour and was just happy to be out there. And, yeah, that's, you know, you need volunteers like that. That was an amazing experience. And, you know, the rest of it as well, um, when people found out afterwards that uh, our car was a bit, toast there were other parkrun adventurers from brisbane area and some from the sunshine coast who who offered us lifts which was amazing because our car had to be towed from from gimpy and obviously the tow truck driver couldn't fit two of us and a toddler in a car seat so it, it was nice on, on the one hand we'd had a bit of a experience um in the morning but it was just so much good in the world afterwards with everybody you know, we had people offering um, to take us shopping if we were going to have trouble with not having our car, you know, can can they take us shopping and things like that, which is just the sweetest. The parkrun community is awesome and it's just nice to know as well that the general wider community, there are strangers out there that are willing to help. So that's the positive. That's the positive. That's nice. That's a nice reminder. You got a nice reminder from the Tailwalker volunteer and a nice reminder just from the the general parkrun community, that they are awesome. Yeah, so... So there's always positives, Mel. We always try and look for positives. Yes, and fingers crossed, uh, it was just a quiet, uneventful weekend this weekend. I don't know if I can top that, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a quick visit to um, Albert Park for those that are still interested, and um, it was a lovely morning. Melbourne's turning it on weather-wise at the moment. And um, one thing I did do, I was down to volunteer at home at Westerfolds with Yvonne and Kasha, and I had a late-minute change of plans, and I headed to Albert Park. And um, I was separated from my girls, and I was separated from volunteering at Westerfolds, which I was kind of looking forward to. And I felt like I let the team down because I had to pull off the roster at the last minute. And as a, well, as a current event director, I know that that's a crap thing to do just because then you've got to scramble – to find a replacement, which they did easily. But the, the positive side of all that, Mel, is that I had an awesome morning at Albert Park because, again, I was reminded of the uh, community because they, you know what they did? Uh, Joanne Watkins, who is a, a regular listener to the podcast, has got, has her own podcast, uh, Call Me Watkins, if you want if you love uh, reading books and stuff like that. Nice tie into our guest coming up. Um, put that into the old search engine, Call Me Watkins. She, she pointed me out. So she said, Here's Scott, he's doing this thing. Um, he also hosts the podcast. And she refers to all her tourists as adventurers. So they're really on brand. <laughs> at Park are we Park. brand? Oh, um, is that what we are? <laughs> we are, we are I think we're common. We are brand. But you know what it does? <laughs> so when, when, when I get pointed out, like secretly, I kind of like it because then people come up. No, 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 no. I don't like that they point me out. No, 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 no. No, let me, let me rephrase that. I secretly like it that. As a result of being pointing out, people come up and introduce themselves and just say, hi, we just want to say hi, we listen to the podcast, we love it. And um, it's not people that I know. So that happened to Oh, that is okay. nice. <laughs> it is nice because, oh, you know, I, I was 
walking the course and I was doing some other stuff. So I wasn't really that approachable. Like I wasn't seeking, um, standing around lonely looking for um, conversation. But uh, that's always Or wearing a, I'm a parkrun adventurer, ask me how t-shirt. Yes. Yes. So again, another nice morning. And um, it's pushing me up on uh, what I did think about at the end of it driving home is that this is this is good for my P index because Wait, you sorry, what? My P index. Don't tell me you don't know about the P index, Mel. It sounds rude or dirty. <laughs> I no, I'm have we had a conversation about a P index? We haven't, but it's part of the running challenges. Oh, what's the P oh, okay. Okay. Enlighten me. My P index currently is seven, which means that I have done what does it mean? <laughs> Now, the P-index is a complete mystery to me, <laughs> as we've just tried to discover what it is. But I think it's linked to the how many times you go back to a park run. So it's – yeah, I'm not even going to try and explain it because, honestly, I don't really understand it. But I think this helps. Okay, so, <laughs> so my P-index – Is that clear? That's perfectly clear. No, no, we don't need to discuss it anymore. terrible, Scotty. My P-index is three. And according to running challenges, it's – like doing this many park runs this many times. And so I have done three different events at least three times, but then there's like one, two, three, four, five, six. There are six other events that I've done two times. So I guess if I go do one of those three times, then does that mean my P index is still three or does it make it four? Because I've done four events three times. I have no idea. I have no idea. Who is this P person who's made up? index and um why do they not have a better description to make it clear what it is i know i know the um the running challenge is getting a lot of love in the parkrun community i think we need to speak to these people yeah we should get them on the pod before anyone else does so danny nicola just hold your horses all right we call, we call dibs yes we, we, we want to speak to them first and we'll clear up the mystery of the p index but i think mine improved okay on the weekend. well well done you for getting a little bit further on something that you don't understand <laughs> <laughs> i'm reading email i'm on seven you're on three that's that's gonna be yeah i'm thing. assuming it's it's not like a par on a golf course and the higher the number the better it is for you so yeah nice work buddy Last weekend was the seventh anniversary of Parkrun in South Africa. And to celebrate, we thought we might have a bit of a chat to somebody whose home Parkrun is at Hazy View in SA. Um, he's a bit of a big deal, really, actually. <laughs> he's an author who, an Aussie author who has written 16 novels and co written several autobiographies and memoirs memoirs and his new book Centre Fear will be available as an ebook worldwide and in print in Australia, New Zealand and South Africa from the 28th of November this year. Tony Park, welcome to the Parkrun Adventurers podcast. Hi Mel, hi Scotty, thanks for having me on. Now we we don't know too many big time authors who are also parkrunners. You're the first um, to be a guest on the Parkrun Adventurers, so we're very excited to have you. Um, you certainly bring something different to the kind of conversations that we usually had. We had to read books and things like that to prepare ourselves to have a chat with you, which was nice for a change. Um, let's start with how your Parkrun journey started. Where did you first hear about Parkrun and how did you get involved? 
Yeah, um, it's funny because uh, my wife, Nicola, and I, we are Australians, um, but we have lived this kind of weird life where we spend half of every year in Australia and we're based in Sydney and half of every year in, in Africa and in South Africa in particular. We have a house in South Africa and that's where I write my books and all my novels are set in Southern Africa. And um, we uh, were talking to some friends in South Africa and they mentioned this thing called parkrun to us, which we hadn't actually heard of. And uh, then we just, you know, did what a lot of people do. We got online and had a look and found out that uh, there was actually one near us in, in South Africa. Uh, little did we know there'd been one just around the corner from where we live in Sydney and will it be happening for quite some time. And uh, we went to the Hazyview Park Run in South Africa. It was one of their first runs, actually, and uh, just thought this is a really good way uh, for us to get some exercise when we're away, when we're um, in, in South Africa, where, you know, it, it can be difficult to find space and time to exercise. And the thing I learned very quickly um, and, and I know you guys across this is the parkrun is particularly popular in South Africa. Like it's it's massive over there, and uh, we found that it was a, a great way to sort of connect with people in our community because we live in the bush over there. We're, we're a little bit away, about forty k's away from our local town. So as well as being a good outlet for fitness, it was a really good social activity for us as well. So are you coming from a running background, Tony, or did you just want to get involved with the local community as such? Yeah, I um like I, I I've never sort of been a part of a running club or anything, but um it's funny I was always very bad at sport at school. There was there was nothing when I was growing up that I was particularly good at. I'm six foot six, but two meters tall, but I'm no good at basketball. I was too slow, and uh, I had a habit of falling over too much to be any good at rugby league or anything else that we were playing in soccer. Um, but uh, I found that uh, as I got older, I needed to do something to, to stay fit and, and to get fit. And I was in the Army Reserve for about 34 years, and, and, and fitness is a bit of a part of military life. And I was never particularly fit, uh, but I did the Army Parachute course uh, when I was about 25. And I, I had to stop coasting and I had to be able to run 5Ks in under 25 minutes uh, to pass that parachute course. And to be honest, in my in my time in the Army for sort of four or five years before that, um, I used to struggle to pass the basic fitness course. But having a goal helped. And I found that after I started running to, to train and pass the parachute course that, that I actually enjoyed running. It was something I could do by myself because I wasn't really into team sports. And, and then, you know, as I got older, I think like a lot of us, um, particularly as I sort of hit sort of 40 and, and a little bit later, uh, I found that, you know, I could no longer eat what I wanted to and drink what I wanted to and think that I could still fit into the same clothes. So I just really like running. And I find as a writer, it also gives you time to think, you know, just be out there by yourself and just empty your head a little bit. So running is a, a good pastime for me. It keeps me fit and, and I think it keeps me um, motivated. I think it helps with the writing a bit as well. 25 minutes is not a slow pace for a 5K. You So as part of the parachute course, it was is that not all just jumping out of planes and learning how to pull ripcords and things like that? Yeah, I mean, the Army um, has an incredible knack of turning the funnest things into world into something quite arduous <laughs> and something quite uncomfortable. And parachuting, which should be this kind of crazy, mad, fun, adrenaline sport, is actually this really regimented, um, you know, justifiably serious activity in the Army. One thing this Australian Army is very big on is safety and professionalism, and they require a basic um, 
uh, level of physical fitness to get onto that course, which is at least as good as what they expected the rest of the army, but a little bit tougher. So we had to do 5Ks in under 25 minutes, had to do seven chin-ups, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're two metres tall with skinny T-Rex arms. I can't so do one. <laughs> it sounds like a lot to me. Yeah, and um, 50 push-ups and stuff. So they just want to make sure that you're nice and fit to undertake what in the army is actually quite an arduous uh, course. And, yeah, my running had never been up to scratch, um, but I found it was a good excuse for me to kind of to, to get into the swing and get going. And I've kind of carried on that interest in running ever since. Tony, you mentioned that you share, you split your time between South Africa and Australia. And I've, I've had a look where Hazy View is and you said you're in the bush. What, what is like running in South Africa in the bush like compared to running on the streets back at North Sydney? Yeah, well, it's a good question, Scotty, because one of the things we can't do where we live in South Africa is run. So just to, to put you in the picture, and this is why parkrun was such a great fit for my wife and I, where Nicola and I live, we actually live in a house inside a little game reserve um, in the bush, and that game reserve joins on to the much larger Kruger National Park in, in the northeastern part of, of South Africa. So it's animal country. We, we have giraffe and zebra and wildebeest wandering around our house every day. Um, we have, uh, we also have, which is interesting, we've got leopards um, that live around us and occasionally we get the odd lion um, crosses the river in from the national park next to us. So for a variety of safety reasons, uh, we're not allowed to run around where we live. Um, we can walk during the day but not at night and so your opportunities for exercise are uh, are quite limited. So uh, the area is called the Lowveld. I mean, uh, any South Africans listening or living in Australia would be very familiar with it, but it's uh, it's bushy country, um, so you can't see necessarily what's around the next corner, and it could be a dangerous animal. It could be buffalo, it could be elephant, or it could be lion or, or leopard. And uh, a lot of the people that live in that area work in the kind of the safari tourism-related uh, industry, and they're in kind of the same boat as us where... Um, because we can't run around where we live, if we can go to town, like to Hazyview, Hazyview is a nice little town that kind of services the national park and the local safari industry and the local tourism industry. It has a number of nice B&Bs and hotels. And the run itself is is done um, uh, in a place called the Sabi River Sun, which is uh, a kind of a hotel, golf course, timeshare, holiday complex with, with lovely big grounds and even though that's not in the bush per se by the nature of where we live there is a lot of wildlife just kind of hanging around even outside of the national park so Hazyview is quite a built-up little town but the Sabi River runs through it and there's quite a lot of hippos in the Sabi River even outside the national park and crocs and so our running course on the Sabi River Sun Golf Estate has numerous signs up saying beware of hippos, crocodiles and bilharzia. And, and bilharzia, for your listeners, is a particularly nasty virus that lives in freshwater dams and, you know, golf course water features and things. So you've got to just sort of keep one eye open while you're running. I imagine they have a very colourful risk assessment. Um, <laughs> how, how do they mitigate the risks? Like I know hippopotami, hippopotamuses kill a lot of people every year. I'm assuming that's mostly in the water. Can, can they run like on land? Would, would that be – I mean, I'm sure it would be scary because they're massive, but does that actually happen? 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about risk management and stuff and risk mitigation because a lot of things we take for granted in South Africa, people would absolutely have a pink fit about over here. You know, oh, yeah, crocodile, sure, no problem, hippos, no problem. Um, with a lot of things uh, like going on safari on a holiday and living in the area, you, you very quickly kind of develop a healthy respect for wildlife and the natural environment and you know there's some things you don't do. The thing with hippos is hippos are, are most active at night time. So during the day they live in the water and on the golf course they, they live in like the water features during the day and they just kind of, you know, bob about doing the hippo thing in the water. And uh, But uh, as dusk comes, um, hippos, uh, their normal pattern is to then leave the water and they um, uh, they graze, they eat grass during the evening. So basically from dusk to dawn, the hippos are moving around and active. And funnily enough, in Hazyview, there are signs around the around town saying, beware of hippos. And so if you're driving at nighttime, coming home from a restaurant or the pub or something, you've got to keep an eye out because there might be a hippo crossing the road. So where the danger comes in is, they, yes, they are very fast smell. And you, what you don't want to do is get between a hippo and the water because if a hippo gets frightened, it, its natural instinct is to run. But if you are uh, between it and the water, which is its kind of happy place, its place of sanctuary, they will run over the top of you and quite possibly chomp you and kill you. So, yeah, they are dangerous animals. But where we run on a Saturday morning, yeah, you would the very low chances of seeing a hippo out of the water. And I dare say if we did see any hippos out of the water during Park Run, we would be making a very serious detour around that hippo for sure. So how's that all working out for you, Tony? Have you Are you accepted into the part of the community or are you the Aussie guy who visits for six months of the year or do they consider you a local when you run it? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting, you know, because um, the books are all published in South Africa and uh, a lot of them are set in that area where we live because what I tend to do with the, the books is um, I tend to write them wherever I happen to be. And I do spend a lot of time in that Lowville, Hazyview area near where we live. So so a lot of our neighbours and friends have, have read the books and they kind of identify with the locations in there. And that's helped us kind of be welcomed into the into the local uh, local community. So, um, yeah, we, 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 I guess we're kind of pretty well known in, in, in the area. They're probably more well known than in Australia. Um, and, and I find people out there are really incredibly welcoming and friendly, you know. Um, it, it, it is, um, well, it's a different country. Uh, you know, it is a country town, you know. And, and I think uh, once, you, once you kind of uh, cross that imaginary line, you know, in a small community, where people might say, hey, who are these strangers that have come to live here? Um, and then you're kind of very quickly drawn in and accepted. But having said that, um, because of the safari industry uh, and the popularity of the safari industry in South Africa, it is quite a diverse um, a diverse uh, community. So, um, you know, in, in where we live, it's a place called Sabi Park, this little uh, game reserve with houses, and Hazyview itself. There are people there from um, Germany, Holland, other Aussies, uh, Kiwis, um, pretty well everywhere you can think of because there's a lot of people like us uh, went through what Nicola and I did where we went on what was supposed to be a holiday or like a once-in-a-lifetime holiday 23 years ago uh, and we got hooked. You know, there's something about Africa, whether it's the wildlife or the landscape or the people or whatever or the excitement or the... The, the safari experience that we, we just got hooked and wanted to go back and spend more time there and so you, you get a, it's a, it's kind of a common phenomenon you get people who come on holiday and decide they want to live there out in the bush so it's it's a welcoming diverse community and parkrun is a really important part of that because um, it, it is a means of bringing people together 
from outlying area, you know, we have people that live on farms, you know, quite away from Hazyview who come in for the park run as well too, and people from town and people from the safari industry. So it's a really good mix of people, yeah. Tony, you mentioned that all your novels are set in South Africa and I, I've had an opportunity to read a couple of them in recent times and it definitely paints a picture, like obviously the fact that you've had such an opportunity to live there and really experience the places has given you the chance to to put that into words so eloquently so that we can picture what's going on. Um, your new book, Centre Fear, is actually also set in South Africa, uh, but it also has another link to Parkrun because I understand some of your characters, it's not out yet, so I haven't read it, but some of your characters go to Parkrun for a training run. Yeah, and thanks for, for having a look at the books. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so what happens is, um, like I said, I, I kind of write on location and I draw my inspiration from everything around me, whether that's the animals and the landscape and the and the people, but also like what happens. And so it just seemed to me that Parkrun Park Run is part of society in South Africa. Like nobody doesn't know what Parkrun is in South Africa. Every, everybody knows that. And so I thought, well, if I put that in a novel, people will kind of relate to it and, and it will resonate with some people. So um, I, I would, I'd actually been on, on a run and I thought, um, you know, how can I work this into the story? And then I thought, well, I know that friends of mine that, that work in the safari industry and work in um, things like anti-poaching uh, have the same issues that I have in that they can't really exercise and run. So some of the guides and the rangers and things go to park run as well. So Center of Fear is about uh, dogs. It, it, it's it's um, uh, uh, anti-poaching tracker and sniffer dogs are, are becoming a really, really valuable weapon in the fight against poaching in Africa. And in, in South Africa, the big problem at the moment is rhino poaching. Rhinos are killed for their horns um, that are, are used as status symbols in, in Southeast Asia. Elephants are killed for their ivory and, and poaching extends into many other areas. And, and it's, a, it's a war that's being fought in the bush. Um, and so you have these anti-poaching forces uh, that are engaged trying to protect wildlife and stop it. So the, the book is about an anti-poaching dog team and uh, a couple of members of the team go on a park run um, to get their weekly exercise and as part of their training. And I thought, how can I work this in the book? Because there's a scene where there's a, a rookie dog handler, uh, a lady by the name of Tumi, who's just joined the team, an African lady. And there's a guy called Sean who is a senior dog handler and he's helping her train her as a dog handler and making sure her fitness is, is up to scratch because um, – Working in the African bush, as you can imagine, chasing poachers and trying to catch armed bad guys is also a very physically strenuous and physically demanding activity. And the dog handlers who I spoke to while researching the book said they have to be fit because if your dog catches the scent of an armed rhino, rhino poacher who could have an automatic weapon, that dog's going to chase that poacher and you've got to be able to keep up with your dog. So in the park run scene in Hazyview, I've got um, these two people going for a run and then what happens uh, is the senior handler then like pretends to be a dog and he has a leash and he gives the other end of the leash to the trainee handler and it says, right, we're going to run the course a second time 
and I'm going to drag you around like I'm your dog and you've got to keep up with me. So that's where I kind of tried to work the training and a bit of fun into this scene with people doing the park run, um, you know, doing two circuits of the park run as part of their, as part of their training. So I thought it would hopefully kind of show the arduous nature of the training that these people go through and also for like ordinary people like me that do the park run, they'll be able to say, oh, yeah, there's our park run. I've, I've been there and I've done that. Love it. Park runs seeping into all forms of life. Um, it's great promotion. I've got to be honest with you, Tony. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a prolific reader. And if I do, it's probably a sports book or it's an autobiography about a sportsman. But um, they all got me onto your book, The Carl. And um, I've been enjoying it. Like it's, it's it's an exciting sort of an action. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing myself like it's going to be made into an action movie one wow. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So is that is that your dream or, you know? Yeah, I'd love, I'd, I'd love that, you know. I mean, I, I think I, I just – I think writing is a funny thing. I, I, I write, you know, primarily for myself, I have to say. I, I, I enjoy the process. It's just like a great outlet for me. And I kind of – I relate it to running, you know. Like I, I don't do park run because I think I'm going to be first, you know. I am the second fastest 50 to 54-year-old in Hazy View, but never the first and probably never will be. But um, I, th- I think uh, writing is one of those things where you, you have to do it because you love it. And if you can give people entertainment and joy along the way, I think that's a great thing. And, and yeah, I, the, the books are kind of there, as you would have seen, there's a bit of action, adventure, a bit of romance as well. They're kind of for men, uh, men and women. But if they could be made into... Uh, into a movie, uh, I think that'd be great. Interestingly, um, just with Center Fear, there's one other thing I thought of because as well as getting inspiration from uh, the local area where I am in South Africa, one of the things that, um, that did kind of give me an idea for that scene on the park run uh, where the guy like and the girl do the run tethered, you know, with this leash where he's like joking, pretending to be the dog and she's trying to keep, keep up with him, is um, on a serious note, something I saw that was really inspiring. On our local run at Willoughby in Sydney, we have um, uh, volunteers there from the Achilles um, Foundation and if you know about them, they uh, help um, people with disabilities go on runs. And uh, there's a, a blind guy that does the run at Willoughby sometimes and he has an Achilles volunteer who runs with him. And, and, and they're linked together by this um, sort of rubber ring that they both hold on to. And it's, really, it's great to see him there. It's like really inspirational. And that sort of gave me a bit of an idea for two people partnering, like running the run together as part of their training. So that was kind of another link to park run, but actually a link to the Australian side of things. It's very cool. The Achilles guys do an amazing job. Do, do you have anything like that in South Africa? Not that I've seen, but I think it would go down really well. You know, I, I think one of the things we um, perhaps take for granted in Australia is, um, you know, we can always do more, but I think we are a very inclusive uh, society in Australia. And I think, you know, we, we sort of um, rightly uh, go out of our way through government and various bodies and, and charitable organisations to make sure that you know everybody gets a fair go, and and and, and everybody's included. Uh, in a lot of African countries, uh, you find that there aren't sometimes the same resources for people with disabilities. Uh, you know, things like mental health don't get the same level of funding and importance as they do in Australia. And and I would like to see something like that 
available in South Africa. So what I want to do when I go back, and it's a really good reminder, thank you for asking the question, is to mention to our parkrun people over there if there's some way that we could start doing something like that. Because I'm sure there's some people in our community in South Africa who would probably like to get out there and have a go and, and feel like they can't for, for whatever reason. But it's um, I think that's one of the strengths of parkrun, you know, just how inclusive it is. Um, you know, if people with disabilities and then you've got, you know, people with their kids and their dogs and people of all ages. I think it's a great thing that brings people together, which is so important. That's important wherever you live, whatever community you live. Absolutely. Now, at the risk of um, making it a bit of a spoiler alert, can you tell us whether or not your characters remember their barcodes? <laughs> yeah, they do. Excellent. They do. <laughs> I've got to always uh, try to remember mine. I've, I've probably... Um, done uh, uh, good work for printing, small printing shops and laminating shops around the world because I'm always forgetting mine and having to, at the last minute, find the email on my phone. I, was, I did one in London. My, my wife was um, overseas working in the UK a few weeks ago and I went over to do a book talk over there because the books are sold in the UK as well. And uh, I found myself in London and I, I wanted to do the Finsbury Park Park Run. And uh, I was actually out having a beer the, um, the night before and I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't have my barcode. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, so I got my phone and I went into this funny little kind of um, internet cafe printing shop and emailed them my barcode off my phone and said, can you please print this out for me and laminate it for really? me? And they laminated it as well. Probably as well on the spot. So how's that? Oh, that's excellent service. How did you find the the park run in the UK versus you know your normal experiences at Hazyview or even you know your your experiences here in Australia? Yeah, well, let me tell you, I'm not the second fastest fifty to fifty four year old in the UK. I'm about at Finsbury Park. I was about the thirtieth, I think, because it, it it was bigger. You know, being in the heart of London, it was like a really big run. And so there was like 300 or 400 people there or something. So in Hazyview, yeah, we get our numbers are growing in Hazyview. Um, you probably not, might have seen the latest stats, but you know we're we're getting bigger there. But we are like a, a fairly small rural community. Um, but I know that uh, like in Johannesburg, for example, there are hundreds and hundreds of people in, in many many runs there. So I found um, going to London to Finsbury Park was like, hey, this is like the big time and the big smoke here but it was uh yeah it was really nice just that change of pace and, and i know a lot of people are kind of into the parkrun tourism thing and i think it's fantastic because uh one thing that that i i i liked you know when traveling is i used to always like going for a run when i was traveling and if i'm in a different city but you know sometimes you don't know where to go and you don't know how safe it is or where you should go or whatever and that's one of the brilliant things about parkrun is you just get online and say, where's my nearest parkrun? And you know that whatever city you're in, wherever you are in the world, there's going to be a safe, secure place to go for a run with a bunch of like-minded people. And I was kind of half lost trying to find my way there to Finsbury Park. Because Finsbury Park is this massive park in the middle of London. And I'm like, which entrance do I go in? And then you just look around. And you see this kind of conga line of people in active wear and you think, okay, that's where, they, that's where I'm going to go. And everyone's like, oh, you're here from Parkrun, where you're from and everything. Uh, I just love it. Well, on that, Tony, have you got a wish list of places you'd like to Parkrun at? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I, um, I've, I haven't really done much of the United States, uh, but my books are published there and I'm, I'm really keen to get to New York sometimes. They have a big Thriller Writers Festival every year. Uh, around July so I'm, I'm keen to get there professionally and I think it'll be really cool uh, 
um, place to to do a, to do a park run in there. Um, I'm probably going to be doing a run in Leeds in the UK this weekend because I'll be back in the UK this weekend. Um, but I, I think my my view is that uh, wherever you wherever you are. It's a good chance to just get out and, and not only exercise, but to uh, to have a look around. Because and, and you know the other thing I like about parkrun is is that encouragement for people to get there uh, by walking or running uh, or you know not take your car or, or get public transport. So the the really cool thing was uh, when I went to Finsbury Park in London is that I got an Uber there. And because I was running late, um, but when I walked home, I, I actually took a stroll home. It was about back to where I was staying in London. It was about um, four kilometres, and it was through a part of London I'd never been before. So, like you can say, I want to go do this run in this particular city, but you're in fact going to see probably parts of that city and parts of that country that you uh, that you wouldn't see otherwise. There's a couple of runs um, around where we live in South Africa that I also want to do. There's a cow, uh, there's a run um, at a town called Hootsprite, which is about 150 k's north of where I live, uh, where I live, and their park run is on the property uh, of a place called the Thirsty Giraffe, which is also a pub. So I'm kind of looking forward to doing that one sometime as well. Well, if you're going to be in Leeds this weekend and you haven't chosen a park run yet, our um, UK counterparts, Nicola and Danny, they do a podcast over there. They um, Nicola's home park run is a park run called Woodhouse Moor, and I'm not sure if she's going to be there this weekend, but I hear it's a wonderful park run, very warm and welcoming and friendly. So you should pop by that one. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious about the life of an author. So here you are describing you get to jet set all around the world, you get to spend half your life in Africa and half your life here in Australia. What does the life of an author actually look like? Like, Do you have a lot of downtime? Are you like crazy busy? Are you always thinking up new ideas? Like it sounds like a pretty good life to me. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting interesting sort of interesting question, Scotty, just to, to look at it because there's, there's a, a couple of cliches but they're probably true. Um, it, people say it's a lonely life and and it is in one respect because so much of your time, not just the writing time, but the, the time you spend thinking about what you're going to write, it's very internalised, you know, and, and, and it's good to have quiet time. You don't necessarily have to be by yourself, but if you ask my wife, like she's used to it, she just I just kind of shut myself down for, for large parts of the day when I'm just thinking or I'm kind of, monosyllabic if she asks me a question or something so you turn you turn into yourself um i i I said before i think it's like anything you're gonna love doing it you know you don't do it because you think you're gonna get published or make a lot of money one day i think you do it because you love it and that's why i run because i love it not because i'm gonna win any gold medals or set any record times i'm never going to do that um so i think i'm lucky to live a life like this where i'm i'm kind of living my dream but it's a job as well too so like any job you know you've got to work at it and the thing with writing the trick i find is you've you've got to chip away at it i mean there's about 120,000 words in one of those books that i write and it takes me about sort of six months to do a first draft and to do that because i do a book every year um, i've got to do a certain amount of work each day so you need a little bit of self-discipline um, you've got to say, my I've got a target every day and I have to meet that target. And, and once I've done that, I can knock off, but I can't knock off until I've done that. Um, so, yeah, the life of an author, you spend a fair bit of time thinking, emptying your head. You've got to write every day if you can or five or six days a week if you, if you can to keep the, 
momentum up. And so you spend all of this time kind of internalised and, and just in your own little world. Um, but then when a book comes out, you've got to switch to a different mode and I'll be travelling around Australia um, through several states talking about Centre Fear, the parkrun book, when it comes out. And so I've got a number of speaking engagements over the course of three weeks from late November through to December where I've got to be out there every day talking to people, like almost nonstop. And I enjoy that because, I mean, I'm, as you can hear, I am a talker and I'm quite gregarious. So that's it's like you have these two incredible, incredibly uh, contrasting parts of your life as an author. You're either locked away by yourself not talking to anyone or you're out there talking to the world. So that's kind of it's kind of fun, you know, it's kinda of interesting. And I travel and I try to do runs wherever wherever I travel. And, and and you know, to kind of bring it back to the park run thing, the life of an author is very sedentary. I've had back problems. Like I had a really bad back. I had a bulging disc um, which took me out of running for a few months and, and a lot of that was traced back to this life of mine for the last 20 years or so, last 15, 16 years, uh, where I, I've spent too much time sitting, you know, and, and I've got bad posture. And so writers tend to get bad backs. It's kind of a common common thing. And, and that highlights the need to exercise. And, and I guess you can say that for any workplace. I guess all of us increasingly, not all of us, but many of us, work in industries that are, you know, these days increasingly dependent on technology. So we're, we're not out walking as much as we used to be or running or exercising and doing physical work. And this is where I think if I give advice to writers, I say write every day, you know, if you can, do a little bit every day and get out and do some exercise and some activity to stimulate your mind and just to keep your your body moving because it's it's like an occupational hazard of the life of a writer is you spend too much time sitting on your bum. Yeah. I think that's an occupational hazard for a lot of occupations. Tony, you don't write in, um, let's say, a traditional sense the way many writers do. You know, they, they create a plot and then they sort of structure everything and then they write afterwards. You You have a bit more of a chronological writing experience, if that's a good way to um, describe it. Uh, you just sort of write as you travel around and it, and it follows the places that you go and things like that. All your books are very tense. How do you keep – like I, Page Turner is, is a cliché, but it definitely applies to your work because it's very difficult to go to bed early when it's just like, oh, just get to the end of this chapter. And then the next one's like, oh, damn it. I just have to read that one now because of what's just happened here. And, you know, it's – um. Very tense. I've been tense a lot recently, and I blame you. Um, but how But how do you keep that up? Because obviously, you know, you're travelling around a little bit more at a leisurely pace. Your wife's there. She's um, obviously not, you know, writing with you, so she's having a different kind of holiday experience um, or travel experience, as it were. But how do you, yeah, keep up that level of like thrill, as it were? No, I think uh, that's a that's a really good question. So yeah, touch on a couple of things. Yeah, the way I write, the, probably more of the authors I know write that way than a lot that most of the textbooks tell you, where you have it all mapped out before you start. I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm incapable of thinking up an entire story before I start writing. So I do make it up as I as I go along, um, and and I do that for a couple of reasons. One, because it's the only way I can write, um, and two, it just gives me a chance to kind of 
work in wherever I happen to be at the time into the story, whether I'm going on park run or I'm going on safari or something like that. But one of the things I find is because um, I enjoy the process of writing, I love it, but I, I have to keep myself interested and I have to keep myself motivated to, to do this. This is my job and it's something I want to do for as long as I live, you know, and, and I have to keep myself engaged and surprised, I think. So I work on the basis that if I don't know what's going to happen next in this story, then hopefully the person reading it won't know what's going to happen next in the story as well too. And I find that when I get to the end of a first draft, my wife Nicola, who's working while we're travelling, she does IT work, so she's often working from the bush as well, is that she's the first person that reads my finished book. And she she's one of these people who picks up a book and reads the first few pages and then goes to the end of the book and reads the end. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do it. How can you do that? When I first saw her doing it, I'm like, you can't do that, but I know there's people out there that do that. I said, why do you do that? And she says, well, I get to the start and I know how this book's going to end. And I said, well, why do you read the end? And she says, just to prove I was right. (laughs) And I said, like, are you right? And she says, I'm always right. I do, I do that in movies. I, I don't do it in books so much. But maybe that's because movies are more a social experience that you do with somebody sitting beside you and just sort of nudge the person beside you and go, oh, I know what's going to happen. Exactly. She does it in movies and she does it in books. So when I first gave her my early books to read, I just gave, gave them to her like one page at a time and she hated that. <laughs> but, um, but she can still look at my books and she say, when she does the first read-through, she says, I know what's going to happen next. This is going to happen. And I said, how can you know that? Because I didn't know it. And she says, yeah, but I know you. And sometimes you drop little hints. But I can go and erase those. So when I do my second and third draft, um, I've already had someone who is good at picking endings read this book. So then my challenge becomes to fool her as well. So I'm, as I'm writing, I'm trying to keep myself interested. I'm trying to keep myself surprised. And I'm trying to fool my wife as I go along. So that's where you get the kind of the, hopefully the, unpredictability where people say oh I didn't know that was going to happen to which I say well you know neither did I so well I have a lot more um book related and writing related questions but I'm not going to ask them now I think I might head along to one of your Brizzy uh library um talks so I can ask more questions there but I do want to ask today Tony because I Every time we speak to somebody who's from overseas, and I know Australia has a reputation, we've got all these deadly animals and things like that. I'm not scared of any of our animals or our wildlife, our spiders, none of it. I'm cool with all that. I can't deal with big animals. So, you know, bears, polar bears, black bears, Canada, all those sorts of places freak the hell out of me. And reading your books and and just all this, like I'm just imagining wildlife is just running around all the time. Have you got, and I mean, obviously, you even mentioned earlier, for a variety of reasons you're not allowed to run, I'm guessing that variety consists of lions and um, elephants and rhinoceri and buffalo, all the big things. Have you had any close calls or like experiences that have just really stuck with you or, you know, made you need to change your pants? Well, yeah, I've, you know, I think living for sort of 20 years in the African bush, yes, you do have the odd close encounter. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, sometimes it's because I've, I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's a couple, yeah. Um, uh, my wife and I were driving through a national park in Zimbabwe uh, a few years ago and uh, I saw these tracks on the ground 
and I fancied myself a bit of an amateur tracker. So I leaned out of the Land Rover and I thought they're rhino tracks. And I thought they're actually black rhino tracks. And of the two rhinos, the black and the white, the black is the rarer and also the more dangerous. They're, these things have a reputation for being very skittish, very aggressive, you know, and, and quick to anger, whereas the white rhinos are like big fat cows. Unfortunately, that's why a lot of them are killed by poachers because they're kind of just so placid. But black rhinos are a different, different kettle of fish and you don't see them that often. So I drive down the road a bit and I look up and there's this black rhino and she's staring at me. She's about 20 metres away. We're in, the, in our old Land Rover, old Series 3 Land Rover. So she puts her head down and she charges the vehicle. She comes straight at me towards the driver's side door and I took off as fast as I could go, which was not very fast. And, and we're driving down the road and I thought, okay, it's going to give up. But this rhino followed us. It took, a, took a, a turn, a corner, and got onto our tail and started running after us. Now, our little old Land Rover, I was actually going uphill. I was coaxing it up to about 40 kilometres an hour. This rhino chased us for five kilometres at 40 kilometres an hour, which is actually a gallop, you know, in terms of Oh, my rides. God. <laughs> you were making all my worst fears, like. I don't know I'm freaking out because it's like this really two-handed, two-edged experience. You think it's a black rhino. So I'm saying to Nicola, look, it's a black rhino. Take a picture. And she's going, drive, drive. It's trying to kill me. Because I'm screaming. We're looking at the back, back window. This thing's just about got its horn up the back of the truck. And we got around a bend and I finally managed to shake it off. And we got away. We went up to the nearest national parks camp and um, with the guy on the gate, this African ranger guy, Oscar, I said, Oscar, just send this black rhino. It was trying to kill us. It chased us for like five kilometres. And he goes, oh, that was Chiwari. And I'm saying, like, I didn't know it had a name. <laughs> and he says to me, she was hungry. And I mean, what do you mean? Like, she doesn't eat Land Rovers and people. And he explained the story that she was actually, she had been an orphan. It was a little bit sad. Her mum had been killed by poachers and she'd been hand-raised by National Parks Rangers. And, and she would forever associate Green Land Rovers with the National Parks food Aww. truck. So she's a <laughs> poor darling. <laughs> and you didn't give um, her any food. She just wanted an apple or something, but it was quite a terrifying experience. Yeah, look, I mean, I've had lions around the tent in the middle of the night. That can be quite confronting and quite scary. Um, I had four hyenas um, actually killed a little antelope in my fire pit barbecue area a few weeks ago. I woke up on a Sunday morning to hear this terrible noise and you look at it and you don't expect this to be happening on your front doorstep. So you've got to be careful. Um, but I, I would recommend a safari holiday to anyone because probably contrary to the impression you might be getting from me and my books, they do take safety seriously and safety of guests is absolutely paramount. And um, so as long as you do the right thing, follow the rules, it's like anything in life, you know, if you if you listen to the people that know what they're talking about, stay in your vehicle when you're supposed to stay in your vehicle, don't run at night, don't run. They always say, whatever you do, don't run, then you're going to be safe. And that, again, is why we need something like park run so we can at least get some exercise because I dare say that if I decided to go for a run around our place sort of in the middle of the night, I probably wouldn't last very long. Well, despite all those warnings, um, you've done a great job selling South Africa to me, Tony. I think we're, we're planning a park run adventurer's Kentucky tour. I think South Africa is well ahead. Oh, on our destination, I think that's where we're going to go. Yep, it's top of the list um, of 20 countries, definitely. Yeah. Yep, so we might even put Hazy View on the itinerary. The great thing about the park runners, you get to meet so many, you know, genuine people, you know, 
with a shared love of the outdoors and fitness and stuff. So yeah, you must. And I recommend it to, to anyone, Scotty. It's a brilliant country to travel in. Super friendly people and great, a great variety of landscapes. I mean, I've done a run uh, down at Franschhoek, which is this beautiful old um, French Huguenot town um, outside of Cape Town in amongst the vineyards. It's just, it's heaven, you know, and a completely different landscape from, from Hazyview, which is out in the bush with hippos and crocodiles. Down there, you know, you've got the, um, the wine lands, you've got the majestic Table Mountain, and you can do runs on the coast as well too. It's, it's just ideal for holidaying and, and, and a really good diverse diversity of landscapes as well. Another one for the list, Mel. Uh, Tony, thanks so much. Another one for the list would be your new book, Ascent of Fear, coming out. This month, we're calling it the Park Run Book. You called it the Park Run Book, so we're going to run with that title as well. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take that as a direct <laughs> quote. Centre Fear, the Park Run Book. <laughs> yes. um, so good luck with all that. Thanks very much for joining us on the Park Run Adventures this week. Uh, it's been a real treat chatting to you. Scotty and Mel, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks very much. Good morning Parkrun Adventurers, it's Melissa here reporting in for the Channel 5 News crew and I'm coming to you from Christie's Beach in South Australia. So we've had a bit of an adventure this weekend and we've specially travelled out to Christie's Beach to get our seventh sea and join the Pirate Club. Um, wow, Christie's Beach is pretty nice. It's along the coast, the sun's out for us. Um, very friendly locals having a chat to us. I'm here with Zoe. We're walking the dogs today because they've had to come on holiday with us. And, yeah, we'll see if we can chat to a few people. Okay, we're post-park run now, and I'm here at the Ripple and Swirl Cafe with Richard and Miriam, and you're their EDs of the event, co-EDs, is that correct? Correct, yes. Yep, and the founding EDs? Miriam is. I was one of the the core volunteers that was recruited uh, before the start-up. And Frank Finn was our other co-ED, who's now become one of the event ambassadors for, one of, uh, for several of the Onkaparinga uh, events. Um, and that's left a position then for me to step up from the regular RD to the ED role. Very good. And how did... <laughs> We're standing out on the street. Um, how did the Christie's Beach come to be? Who, who was... Okay, so yeah, I'll, I'll help you with that one. So Frank is a really keen runner and um, usually went to Torrens Park Run, a bit far away and thought that it would be great to have something down south and said, wouldn't it be great if we had something a little bit closer to home? So yeah, we looked at all the different uh, prospective sort of park run courses that we could think of and uh, he was fairly forward thinking and Christie's Beach was the first one. And so we started that in July 2016. Okay, so and it's a beautiful location here. I described it earlier as along the coast, but if you want to describe your course a bit better than what I've probably done, um, I would see it, see it as a, a beachside run um, with a, an undulating uh, path. Uh, we do have a, a challenging rise at our first turnaround at the north section. Um, we, it's a, a long downhill section. Um, in the middle part and uh, a double back from the south turn around to the finish um, it's it's a very a wide path it's very friendly it's obviously 
Very user-friendly. Very user-friendly. We have a lot of uh, uh, people with buggies and pushchairs, uh, wheelchairs. And a dog buggy. We do have a dog buggy. <laughs> Karen is a regular and she yeah. volunteers as well. Yeah. Um, bless and Bridget, the, the pug. Yes. We walked with Bridget. Yeah, oh, cool. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it is. It's just a, such a friendly uh, community. Um, I know personally when Frank put the call out in the February, uh, I'd, I'd done long moved to Australia. I'd been... We'd been here in about four months mm-hmm. at that particular point. Uh, so I, I wanted a park run, and I never really wanted to be the one that organises it, because <laughs> I just wanted to run. But I figured, and I said to Miriam and Frank before, if, if, if I don't do it, who will? Yeah. So I got involved, and to be honest, it's, it's defined my, uh, my move here. It's become part of my life and helped me become more civic-minded. And did you park run in the UK? Yes, uh, in South Wales, mm-hmm. there was a, an event that regularly attracted three to four hundred uh, a week. Wow! Yeah. So, but I'd only done it five. I'd only been park running for about a year um, before we emigrated. So, mostly now, I'd say you're based here because of your involvement with the event team. Do you Absolutely. get yeah. around venturing much? Um, no, I, 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 I think family-wise and everything, Rich is really more. Um, yeah, you're sort of not stuck I, with us. I like it. You're stuck with me. <laughs> Look, we are so fortunate to have had Rich from yeah. the get-go. Yeah. Because without Rich, I don't think we could have really done it without him. Yeah. Because he was so much part of our park run and and someone that we could just rely upon that he you know he'd take the kit, he'd look after everything because lots of things happened in Frank's life that changed a few things and we had to travel and then we had to work away mm. and if we didn't have Rich as a backup you know it would have been a lot more difficult well, so we, it's been it? the it's steady it is mm. it's 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 he's been the the rock on which everything Aww. has been uh, <laughs> yeah go. no seriously yeah. it's it's been absolutely wonderful to have him and he just notched up, you know, over his hundredth volunteering stint. So yeah, he's a <laughs> bit of a yes. And you're very welcoming to the tourists, so thank you. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of what we try to engender at, at Christie's Beach because um, we've all come from somewhere else. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter where our paths meet, uh, you know, uh, take us from. We always end up meeting somewhere, mm. and as long as we meet at a happy place. I like that. I like to collect yeah. friends every park run I go to. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Well, you never know when the you, you bump into them at some other point in yeah. time. Yeah. So. And we had one of our founding sponsors here today, Katrine Hildyard. So she's the member for Renell. Oh, and so that's she good. was. Uh, she's still yeah, supporting. She's yeah. she's uh, she's supporting in the fact that she comes here every time. She mm. volunteers on a fairly. Re- she's got a very busy schedule, mm. but she does volunteer with her husband Charles. And um, and we're really really lucky that we've got a very supportive council. Like if we have anything that mm. that we need doing. Um, we can ask the council and since we've launched this one we've started up another three so yeah Frank and I have started up another three so and then we've had great teams who have originated in the Christie's team model in the fold in the the core team yeah 
and they've been part of our core team. So we now have four in the city of Onkaparinga. That's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. so this is, this is the support that we've had from yeah. our council, this is the support that we've had from our volunteers, our whole community, yeah. and yeah, we're spreading the love. And, and this way, you know, most of them in the city of Onkaparinga, they only have to drive about 12 minutes max or 15 minutes maximum, and they're hitting a park run. So what are the other park runs called in the So there's, um, there's Oldinga Beach, mm -hmm. Uh, which launched in um, no, August 2017 and then Ranella East in December 2017 and then recently Moana, which is just a little bit down there. Um, it launched in April uh, this year. Yeah. And fantastic. And we have then a team of all the event directors that we all communicate together. So, uh, you know coming up Christmas run, that type of thing. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. So yeah. a lot of people are looking at the compendium at the moment. Have decisions been made for the Christmas compendium? There's, um, and we've always uh, pushed that it's a volunteer-led uh, event. Um, we're not going to be uh, committed into uh, providing an event unless volunteers are willing yep. uh, to come first. To step up, yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah. There's a potential at the moment that Moana and Aldinga Beach, um, the rosters are, are looking very healthy, but anything outside of your normal Saturday morning, we do need to get the council approval. And yep. once we get them on side, we can sort of really publicise and really put out to the community that um, this is an option for them mm. to get a run and maybe a volunteer on the same day. So, you know. It's a win-win for park runners, win-win for park runners. Yeah, and it's been it's been very well received, and there's quite a bit of excitement out there for the New Year's run. We won't be doing a Christmas one, the New Year's, um, and then uh, yeah, we'll just we'll just see. But I think council is just about done with the, with with their communication. And um, they have to communicate with Park Run HQ, and we need to get that permission then to run the event on the New Year's Day. Once we've got that, then once we've got our volunteers set, we're done. Mm. Pretty right. Yeah. But it's a lovely opportunity for for our park runners to either try something different, travel a bit further. Yep. You know, because otherwise they're quite loyal. <laughs> yeah. But the good thing is, you know, like we also have, a, it might get a bit wild in the winter yeah. on, on the Esplanade. So, you know, it might get a bit windy and, and quite stormy. But then the Ranella East is a little bit more protected. So then they'll, you know, there'll be quite a few going to Ranella East and we'll try that one out because that's, you know, we've got a bit more protection yeah. there. It's a good introduction to tourism because I remember myself when I just went to my local every week, but then Christmas Day was a bit tempting, so off I yeah. ventured yeah. to a, a different park run. Yeah, yeah so no, it's good. Opens up the new park run world. Mm. All right. Well, thank you very much for talking for me this morning. Thanks and thank you for being so speech. friendly to a bunch of rogue pirates from Victoria. <laughs> I love well, the I'm, pirates. I'm glad you managed to knock off one of your seven seas. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no. Job done. Yeah. Well done, yeah. yeah. All right, thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay, so that's a wrap from Christie's Beach Park Run. Just, I'm sitting here with Paul back at the caravan. Hi, Paul. Hi. Um, just thought we'd give a little shout out to the tourist park here at Christie's Beach. We're camping in. Um, it is basically at the start point. So for the tourists out there, if you're looking for convenient accommodation, right behind the surf club, beautiful caravan park, nice green grassy sites, um, toilets are beautiful and clean and very friendly park, dog friendly if you need to travel like we do with your pooches.
So that's all from us from Christie's Beach, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. So Melissa Ellis was at Christie's Beach Park Run this week. Thank you for the reports from down that way. I'm glad to see um, more entries into the Pirate Club because it's one of our favourites. Hey, Mel, we've created a problem, but we've found a solution. So we've created this problem that we're going to start talking about top threes every week. And we've, <laughs> we've quickly realised that we're going to run out. But so this week we're going to have a – we've got a great idea for a top three. So this is the top three locations where you can – Fit in a park run and head along to a safari. Just following on from inspired by Tony's yeah. interview. Yep, but because I've never been to South Africa, you've never been to South Africa either. We're going to hand over to I've our never um. Our old favourite. You may remember him from past episodes, including episode one hundred and thirty-five. Um, he's also the CEO of Park Run Australia. But he's married a South African, so he's an expert in this area. So take it away. Thanks, Scotty. Hey, Mel. Tim here. Hey, Tim. Now, we've brought you in as our resident guru about safari park runs in South Africa. Can you take it on? Look, I can give it a crack, and I'm also prepared to be shot down by any South Africans listening to this podcast, but I think I've pretty much got a grip on where parkrun adventurers can see some of the great wildlife that South Africa has on offer. Awesome. Can you give it to us in a South African accent? You know, I definitely can't do that. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's been, it's been a while since I watched Die Hard. I think from memory, wasn't the, the, the villain in Die Hard South African? Yes, he was, but it was Alan Rickman. No. Yeah, no, Die Hard 1, the, the bad guy, Alan Rickman, as Mel's telling me, is, uh, is South African. Yeah. What are you right about? <laughs> Sorry, listeners, I've got Scott yelling at me in the background here. <laughs> anyway, right, Scott, go away. Okay, so let's do this now. We'll go for it, Tim. Okay, okay. So I'm, I'm just going to go for it. So I think my, my number one location for seeing the wildlife is actually going to be Nkamazi uh, Park Run. Now, we might want to spell that uh, for the for the listeners. I think it's N-K-O-Z-M-I, something like that, Nkamazi Park Run. And the reason I have that as my number one is because that's actually the park run I visited when I was on safari in South Africa. I was actually with Paul Sinton Hewitt and Bruce Fordyce and a lot of the, the uh, park run, um, I guess, senior people from the UK. Um, and we were uh, staying on a place called the Crocodile River, um, which is a river that borders um, Kruger National Park. Um, and from memory, the gate to get into Kruger National Park was actually called the Crocodile Gate. Um, and yeah, we, we were staying there and we, we got up and uh, m- went to Nkamazi Park Run, which is uh, over towards sort of Mozambique uh, and had a, had a wonderful, wonderful park run experience running through the cornfields and we're, we're really um, treated like royal. Well, we had PSH with us, so of course we were all treated right, like royalty. But yeah, did our park run, um, had a, a hang around, hung around the village afterwards, and, and had a chat and gave uh, um, shoes to a lot of the kids, and then we uh, went back to uh, to do safari. So, so from from personal experience, that's that's my number one. Uh, number two is Hazy Hazy View Park Run, uh, which is I think renowned as being the park run that is actually probably the closest one to to uh, safari. Uh, I think it's the closest one to Johannesburg in terms of if you're in Joburg and you want to go to a park run in safari, I think Hazy View is the one. Yeah, it's but I know that it's right on Kruger National Park. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's super close. it is. And, 
So, Hazy View is number two. And then just for something a bit different, I'm going to say Hermanus Park Run, which is over on the Western Cape. And although this is not one for seeing the famous Big Five, uh, it's a safari of a different kind because uh, in, in the winter months, it's famous for whale watching uh, and people from all over South Africa and probably all over the world uh, go to go to Hermanus to, to watch the whales. So, uh, so, I think they're my top three for having a, uh, a safari slash wildlife experience in South Africa. A post-park run safari. Thank you very much for that, Tim. I love this top three brought to you by a special guest every week. We're going to have to make that a regular thing. Watch what you say. (laughs) The listeners will hold you to it. They will. They will. Thanks, Mel. So, there are not going to be any launches this week, Scotty. The end of the year is starting to get sparse launches, which is okay because there's plenty of anniversaries to keep everybody busy. Should I kick us off? Because we're back at Albert, Melbourne. Mel, they're, they're celebrating. God, it must be seven years, I reckon. Wow, it is. It must be. They're older than Kiwana and Kiwana are six. There you go. There you Good go. Good mathing. Good mathing. Callum Vale in Queensland, along with Cowra in New South Wales, celebrating anniversaries. And Lota and Nambour, both in Queensland as well. And from the greatest state, Warrnambool. Hey, Scotty, I have a fun fact for you. Thank you very much for mentioning that Warrnambool is in the um, – what do you call the state that you live in again? The greatest state? The greatest state. The greatest, the greatest state. state. Actually, a f- correct statement. Okay. I have a, a fun fact for you. Queensland just hit a milestone. We've joined the 100 Club for park runs. How cool is that? Congratulations, Queensland. That's awesome. That's a nice milestone. I'm going to thank you on behalf of the entire of the state and all the park run events we have here. Um Little known fact, did you know New South Wales have got 86 parkruns? Also a pretty cool number. Not obviously a milestone. And how many do you reckon Victoria has? It's got to be close to those numbers. Close. Yes, you guys have got 70, which is also pretty cool. Little pretty bit of number. catching up to nice do. Nice round number. Yep. <laughs> anyway, mostly I just wanted to highlight the fact that Queensland joined the 100 Club this week. So you may live in the greater state, but we think we're pretty damn cool too. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll snip that little clip out of you saying I may live in the greater state as an, <laughs> an acknowledgement. You've finally come around. You know? Yeah. The whole well, sentence just screams awesome. great. Well doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Scotty. So I still um, – I finished all my Tony Park books um, that I had bought. So I'm going to have to go buy another one, I think, because I may be a little bit addicted to the thrillers. Um and I know I said I've got one on pre-order. I do. It's um, on pre-order with Booktopia, who um, are very cool. They they were the ones kindly. Simon there at Booktopia put us in touch with Tony, raised the flag that there was a parkrun book coming, which is very cool. So we got to thank them for that. We do. So this is this is a shameless plug. We're not gonna we're not gonna sugarcoat anything on the parkrun adventures. We are gonna promote the hell out of Booktopia one because he's parkrunner. Simon's a parkrunner. He is. And yeah, absolutely. And he's, and he's a parkrun adventurer. Listener, even better. I know, right? He listens to our podcast and he's a parkrunner. I swear, when he sent that email through, my all my worlds collided because <laughs> I used to work for libraries and, you know, books and reading and stuff and then parkrun. It's just like, oh, my gosh. I was very excited. So happy that Tony could join us this week. And he connected us up. He did. Yes, Simon connected it up. Connected it up. That's a good new English word. <laughs> it's got a few extra <laughs> syllables. All this reading's paying off for you, Mel. <laughs> it is. 
I think you know, it's, all the words. I think it's because I've been consuming so much so fast <laughs> in such a short period of time. Um, I'm learning new adult words and grown-up things instead of just talking to a toddler all the time. Hey, but um, if anybody wants to um, find out where Tony is touring and all those sorts of things, they can um, jump onto Facebook and he's got Tony Park Author is his page and, you know, it mentions all the cool stuff. I think we'll hook up with him with our Not A Contiki tour. Um, what do you reckon, Scotty? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I learned a fun fact just in, in between recording. We can't call it the Contiki tour, Mel. Sure, we can't call it that. That's already a copyrighted name. Yeah, but do you know what the Contiki tour, like the rules around the Contiki tour are? No. Did you know there's an age thing? Like, they, I just got told that it's between 18 and 35. Well, that's not all inclusive, like Parkrun. No, so like, we're not going to call it the Contiki Tour anymore. Okay, well, we need to come up with a new name. We do. Um, and we're giving too much publicity to the Contiki people who aren't, as you said, aren't inclusive at all. They're discriminating <laughs> against, against you and me. I, I, I fall out. Who are too old to fall in the age brackets. <laughs> <laughs> Not bitter about it at all. Um, <laughs> but what goes, okay. on, what goes on on a Kentucky tour is going to be quite separate to what goes on on the Parkrun Adventurers tour. Yeah, we're not That's that not kind of tour. tour. No, no. Okay. Whatever well, that means. I never went on one, but I'm sure <laughs> some of that And they if, know exactly if what If anybody has any suggestions, um, because Scotty and I are obviously creatively tapped out now <laughs> by the yeah. end of the episode. Um, it's getting to the end of the year. Clear more episodes well, to go before we get our break. I know, but we've got to start plans for the big final episode of the year as well. That's always a big one. Always fun and exciting, but takes more work usually. It's going to be good. Shall we leave it there? Let's wrap it up. Yeah. yeah an- another long episode, but a- an absolute cracking episode this week. Um, reminder, last, w- last, w- last week for reminder for the Pearl Station. I think it's time. People have had enough time now. So we're going to close that next week and um, – delve into the results a little bit and and give away that TomTom watch. So if you haven't already, good God, what have you been doing? Last (laughs) year. Get on to it, people. 